You're listening to a message from the church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. Thank you, Marty, for that kind introduction. Sometimes, sometimes you, when you go to another church, you get a much better introduction than uh, with your own folks. Because uh, usually when I get introduced at True Life, it starts with something that I did silly or um, in some way because I'm the I'm the young elder at True Life, so I'm still the uh, the whipping boy as they as they like to to train me up and teach me. But I am honored to be here. Um, you know, from the time I walked in, um, you guys have been hospitable. And, and that's not to be taken for granted uh, because that's not uh, it's not always evident. And so you know, thank you for for greeting us and and, uh, and opening your arms to us. And and I do want to just take a minute before we jump in uh, to uh, to the scripture and just remind you guys that because uh, I think every local church needs reminded of this and um, I want to remind you of your pastor's heart for you guys uh, and his love for you and so a lot of that uh, specifically for me has shown through and just you know I wanted to hear a little bit about your all story and about where you are and, and kind of the season you're in and uh, what makes up the church at Rutledge and so I uh, talked to Marty for a little while um, at length a couple weeks ago in regards to that. And, you know, got off the phone and, and just, you know, to me, the resounding theme was like, God's doing something and he's got a, and Marty himself, and I'm sure um, so many others in, in this room, uh, he's got a love for the people that are at uh, this church. And so, um, I'm excited to see what God wants to do in Granger County. Uh, we're not our church isn't too far away in in Jefferson City, um, and at the end of the day, we are um, believing the same truth about Jesus, uh, believing the the essentials of the faith, and we're on the same team, laboring uh, to see people meet Jesus and and have their lives changed. So, um, Marty, I do appreciate your heart for. For these folks. And if you want to start, if you've got a Bible with you, you can go ahead and be turning to Judges. As Marty said, uh, you guys have been walking through this by faith series in Hebrews 11. And um, I I tried to do, you know, I guess it's a little atypical that somebody would come in and not be a part of the church, but jump into the same series. That, you know, often it may be more of a standalone message, but so I tried to do my homework a little bit and listen to um, to some of the sermons as in, in this series, and then I realized that um, that I would need a part time job to get through the length of many of those sermons. So um, I, I had to get bits and pieces in. No, I'm I'm saying that I'm joking because um, my reputation at True Life is that I'm long winded. So I better just chill down and and not give Marty any ammunition. Uh, but but as you're walking through looking at these heroes of faith or whatever uh, whatever you want to term them, that's what we see them 
referred to uh, in Hebrews. Um, you know, you, you've seen some amazing examples of Old Testament figures uh, that that God used in a very specific time uh, for a very specific reason. And, and so today we're going to look at another one of these characters um, that that's not just a, an animated character. This was a a real person in real time and space. Uh, and his name was Samson. And so you can be turning to the book of Judges. And we're going to look at uh, the life of Samson in Judges 13 through 16. Uh, but before we before we jump into uh, Judges 13, I want to do a couple of things. First, I just want to kind of set the stage for, uh, you know, we're already in Judges 13. How did we get here? How did we get to uh, the life of, of Samson? And so... Um, for those of you that that are familiar with the Bible, uh, kind of know how that process worked. Joshua, you know, Moses led the people out of Egypt, didn't lead them fully into the promised land, passed away prior, handed the reins off. Joshua led the Israelites, the people of Israel, into the promised land. And so now they're taking taking what God has said, this is yours. They They are in the promised land. Joshua eventually... Uh, passes them away, but but Joshua kind of charges them to be faithful to the covenant that that God has made with them to obey the commands of the Torah uh, and to live a life that would be honoring to the the commands of God. And 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 God said, if you do these things, it's going to go well for you. I've given you this land, um, and there were there were these people in the land that were still kind of intermingled, called the Canaanites. Some of the Canaanites got cleared out in that process. Many of the Canaanites did not get cleared out. And so there was still work to be done in these different areas of the promised land. And, and, and their job, the Israelites' job, was to get rid of these Canaanites. And that sounds mean, but really the heart behind that was, and the goal was to drive them out so they would not be partaking in the moral corruption that that kind of summed up the Canaanite life. Uh, they they worship different gods. They have different beliefs. If you named a topic, they would probably think differently than the Israelites on that topic. And so God knew that they needed to be rid of uh, of the Canaanites, and they didn't want to intermingle their lifestyle with those of the Canaanites. For those of you, and, and one example, you know, you may be thinking, well, what did they do so bad? Like one of their one of their examples of worship was child sacrifice. You know, in this day and age, and even then, you know, the Israelites were like, nah, that's not okay with us. I don't think, you know, I don't think I'm good with, uh, with sacrificing one of my children to, to my so-called God. Uh, but, but that's kind of what, that's what they were about. And the Israelites ended up, instead of following the commands of God, ended up mixing right in with their lifestyle. They coexisted and they, they, you know, they intermarried and they, they just kind of met you. It would, it could have been difficult to determine. Are you, are you of the Canaanites or are you an Israelite? And so they did not follow what God asked them to do. And so God, as we see in judges, starts instituting these judges and these, these judges predate, uh, the kings, uh, all the kings that would rise and fall. And there's six judges that we see in this book, and Samson actually is is the final judge. So 
we go through kind of the story of, of, of five different judges before we get to Samson. And, and really the theme of the book is, is just this downward spiral of the Israelite faith. They, they, they weren't following what God was asking of them. And so they would sin, they would fall into slavery or oppression. God would send a judge to judge rightly. And then they would see salvation. And then they would become comfortable. And they would sin. And they would fall into slavery. And then they would, they would seek salvation. God, we're so sorry. They would, God would send a judge. The judge would, would, would rightly, you know, judge their situation. And these judges, even in, even in them doing some, uh, some really good things, their lives were a wreck too. So you had messed up judges. You had messed up Israelites in a messed up place that was supposed to be good. The promised land. So that, that's where we're at catching up to Samson. And before we before we go there, let's this is the interaction part of the message. So so after we finish this little y'all can't talk anymore. I, I get to talk. I'm just kidding. You can. The more amens, the uh, the better it'll get. Uh, word association. We're gonna play word association. When I say a word, I want you. And this isn't rhetorical. I want you to say the first word that comes to your mind. When I say peanut butter, you say. Good, that was easy. When I say hot, you would say, good. What if I said, this is a little trickier, may not have the same answers. If I said cookies, good. At least some of you are safe. That's good. Uh, if I say up, all right, man, y'all are smart. Uh, maybe a little harder. Fourth of July, fireworks, okay. If I said evangelist. That's what I thought, too. I was thinking gospel or Billy Graham. Good. Uh, if I said Alabama. I was thinking more Satan. I mean, Saban um, or or football, but whatever. Roll Tide, I guess, works, too. Um, okay, if I said Samson. Okay. Delilah. Let's go clear Delilah out of your head again. That's Let's say it again. Samson. Who? What else would we? Other attributes. Strength. Delilah. Delilah. What else? Hair. Nazarite. Golly. Okay. So here's what I listed: hair, strength, Nazarite, lust, ego, temper, women. Here's the deal, though. What series are we in? By faith. When I say Samson. Does that, does faith ever come to your mind? I'm in the same boat. I read Hebrews 11 and I'm like, and I know, like, I'm not questioning the authority of God's word or if it's true. But it's okay to say, really? Like, I know it's not a mistake, but why? So, so that's what we're going to look at. That's not how we usually associate him. We're going to, we're going to ultimately look at the life of Samson. And and why he ended up in this heroes of faith list. And I didn't. I don't think I, the media guys don't have this. If you've got a pen, you know I'm not going to give you a bunch of points, but I've got a main idea. So if you leave here today and you don't remember anything else that I said, and you got a pen and you want to write this down, the main idea 
through the entire life of Samson, really ultimately through the entire book of Judges, through the entire Old Testament, New Testament, is the fact that God's faithfulness precedes our faith and it exceeds our folly. For those that, that might be big words that don't resonate. God's faithfulness comes before our faith and goes above, far and beyond our folly. That's what we're going to look at today. And so we're going to start, I'll be honest with you, we're, we're going to try to cover this. This is, let me pull out my phone. because Y'all are going to get hungry, stomach's growling. Okay, it's 1120. I'm going to try to be faithful to a good time frame here, but we're going to try to cover four chapters. Much of that's going to be kind of summarizing it, but I want us to see from a high level the life of Samson and, and, and what went on in his life and how that kind of matched up with uh, the faithfulness of God. And so we're going to start reading the first couple verses of chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 1 says, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Okay, so that's a very that's a recurring theme. The people of Israel again did what was evil, and that's what we talked about, kind of how we how we got to this point. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for forty years. And just as a side note, when we make choices, there's consequences, right? And I know, I know Marty actually, I listened to the entire sermon, uh, uh, from last week and Marty preached on, uh, consequences and faith and how that, how that works together. But when we make choices, there are consequences and that's God's true to his word and God's true to himself. And so we, we have choices to make that ultimately that ultimately render positive or negative consequences. Verse two, there was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children. Now I can, first of all, I, I, I can't fathom kind of like coming face to face with an angel of the Lord. But then, you know, once you get over that shock, and, and, and at the time, actually right here, she doesn't realize who it is. You know, she's just seeing... That she's meeting this guy. But it, but if that's if that's your situation, you can't have children. I don't know if I was drawing this game plan up, if I would start the conversation by reminding you of what you clearly already know. Hey, by the way, you don't have any kids, and you can't have kids. Uh, but but that's what the angel of the Lord does. He's 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 kind of laying the foundation. You're barren, you haven't born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor, no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So a couple things, three lenses or three boxes or three buckets we might want to put some of these uh, scenarios in as we as we look at this text uh, throughout the next several chapters we've got we've got god's faithfulness going back to this main idea that god's faithfulness precedes our faith and it exceeds our folly so we've got god's faithfulness we've got man's faith whether that be the faith of samson's parents or samson or or us 
And then we've got folly, which would be man's folly because God does not have folly. So we're going to fit some things into three different buckets. God's faithfulness. As we read that, we see that from the get-go, when this lady, when this mother, mother-to-be of Samson meets the angel of the Lord, that God makes two promises through the angel of the Lord. And that, you know, there, when you when you hang out or with uh, with people that love theology, the study of God, digging into into the text, which I'm I'm all for. You know, I'm pro knowing what what God's intent is. Uh, when when you hang out with those people, or when you read enough commentaries, it's real easy to kind of start debating over things that we may just never arrive at a, a, a final conclusion but there's some there there's some things in scripture that that we don't have to debate over we don't have to argue about one you know one of those would be you know people say well that that was clearly you know that was christ incarnate that was that was god coming to all we know is that scripture says it's the angel of the lord whoever it was i would say it probably was god himself coming in the in this angel form it got her attention. The angel Lord got her attention and he made two promises from the get-go. He said, I promise you a child. Listen, I know up until now, you haven't been able to have a child. You've been barren. You are going to have a child. So that's that's the first promise. Verse 3 is where he tells her, you shall conceive and bear a son. And, and once again, going back, you know, if we go back uh, throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, for whatever reason, we see that this is just a very common practice of God. You know, we can point to uh, Abraham and Sarah. They couldn't have children. They, they hadn't had children. They were old and washed up, way beyond their years. And God said, you're going to have a child, and I promise you that that child will lead to descendants, and, and, and you're going to be called blessed and you're going to have more descendants than than the stars in the sky, more than can be numbered. So we go to Abraham and Sarah, and then and then we start to see just this almost this generational trickle down. That okay, now Isaac and Rebecca they can't have a child. God says, yes, you can't have a child. You're going to have Jacob and and Jacob and Rachel. They eventually they can't have a child. Now they're going to have Joseph. Uh, and then we think of Hannah, but Hannah's husband was named Elkanah. I think is how you say it, but Hannah couldn't have a child and just so desperately wanted a child. And God blessed her with a child and called his name Samuel. Then we get to the New Testament. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they couldn't have a child. God blessed them with a child and called his name John. Now we've got John the Baptist who, who is preceding Jesus. So, so for whatever reason, God works in this way that when people think that there is no hope, he says, oh, but wait. Yes, there is. You're going to have a child. And that's exactly what he did um, for Manoah's wife, Samson's soon-to-be mother. And the second promise he makes is in verse 5. He said that he's going to use Samson to defeat the Philistines. He said he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And so those two things we're going to hang on to. Okay, because, because if those two things don't happen, then I have a hard time believing, well, how do I know if God says what is true? How, how do I know if it's going to happen? 
But but we see in Scripture, he says these two things clearly through the angel of the Lord. You're going to have a child, I'm going to use Samson. He goes on to ta- tell her uh, that, that Samson's not going to cut his hair. And, and many of us said, that's what we think about with Samson. And, and, uh, and through that, uh, the hair was kind of the vehicle to uh, that God ultimately was w- would come upon him. The Spirit would strengthen him. He'd have supernatural strength. But he took this Nazarite vow. And this wasn't one of those deals that Samson was born and they said, all right, Samson, now that we can communicate, your toddler, listen, little buddy, we're thinking that God's kind of leading us in the direction uh, that we, we probably don't want to ever cut your hair. And I think God's going to do something special. Samson didn't get a vote. The angel of the Lord told Manoah's wife, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to cut his hair. No razor shall go to his hair. No wine or strong drink or anything from the vine. Uh, Don't eat anything unclean. Don't touch anything uh, dead. Don't touch any dead cards. So we've got these Nazarite, they call it a Nazarite vow. I I am consecrated. I am set apart unto God. And this is how it will be evident because I'm not going to cut my hair and I'm not going to drink any wine or strong drink and I'm not going to do the, the, these things. And so that, that was Samson's, uh, that was his lot before he even was born, that he was going to be a Nazarite. And, you know, we, we can see examples of several Nazarite uh, people that took that Nazarite vow throughout uh, the Old Testament. Uh, but Samson, Samson had this Nazarite vow kind of on him. It wasn't a specific period of time. This is for your life. For your lifetime, you are set apart, and I am going to use you, but I'm asking you to be faithful and to have faith in what I'm going to do through you. So, talked about God's faithfulness. That's, that's kind of God's faithfulness. Two promises, right? You're going to have a child, I'm going to use him to start to defeat the Philistines. Well, let's read in verses 8 through 14 of the same chapter. See how the parents responded. So, so between what we read and here, you know, the wife goes to the husband because he wasn't there when the angel of the Lord came and said, you'll never believe this. Angel of the Lord just told me we're going to have a child. Told me that we don't need to cut his hair. You know, the whole Nazarite vow thing. <clears throat> and the husband is like, whoa, that's crazy. And so he wants a little bit more confirmation. He's like, can we can we get him back here? Like, can I hear it with my own ears? And so verse 8 says, then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, Please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us that we are to do that what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah and the angel of God came again to the woman as he as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, are you the man who spoke to this woman? He said, I am. Which I think that's funny. What, what The I am statements, right? That's a good answer. I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? <clears throat> I don't want to rabbit trail too much on that, but I've underlined both of those requests that they've asked the angel of the Lord just for my own parenting sake. Because, guys, as parents, how many parents do we have in the room? What a great question to ask God. God, what is to be my child's manner of life? What is my child's mission? 
and his parents to to find out, to communicate with God about that, and to point them in that direction. And so that was that was really uh, the the dad Manoah's heart here. It said the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, "Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine." Neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat anything unclean. All that I commanded to her, let her observe. So, if we were given a grade to how Manoah's parent or how Samson's parents have responded to this situation so far, I would say they're kind of rocking it, right? They're they're like there's there's a lot of faith going on, and so now we're in the second bucket, the you know our faith or man's faith. There's not there's not a whole lot of doubt. And we see we see other areas of scripture that, you know, that well, Elizabeth would be an example, you know, with John Baptist. I mean, she wasn't very assumptive about, oh, this has to be true. But but the parents here, verse eight, you know, he says, once again, teach us what we're to do with the child. But look, he says, who will be born. He doesn't say. God, I know you said this. And if this actually does come true, then teach. He's like, you said it, I believe it. Teach us what to do because this child's coming. He will be born. What do we do then? He said, now when your words come true, in verse 12, now when your words come true, not if, when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? And then Manoah's dad does have a little scare because they eventually uh, they eventually find out uh, they. He invites this angel of the Lord. He says, hey, we'd love to have you stay for supper. We'll kill a goat because that's always attractive, right? Like, hey, if you want to come over, we'll kill something and eat it. I I always think about, like, what's that time frame? You you know, like, we're in this microwave world, right? (laughs) Like, and they're just going out to the fields and and killing a goat. And I mean, I would say there's a lot of communal time there. You don't just, you know, either that or they, yeah, I don't know. Anyways, that's not part of it. That's just me wondering. So, but he freaks out because, you know, the tradition was if we see God or if we see, you know, an angel, like once they realized that's who that was, he said, we're going to die. We've seen, we've seen God. We're going to die because that, that's kind of what, and, and look at what his wife says in verse 22 and 23. She calms him down and she said, but his wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would have not have accepted a burnt offering. So the angel of the Lord eventually said, no, I'm not going to eat, but if you're going to do anything, you know, do it, do an offering. And so they ended up doing this burnt offering. Um, and, and that's how the, the angel of the Lord went up in the smoke and, and ascended. But his wife's telling him, if, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted the burnt offering or grain offering, or he wouldn't have shown us all these things and now announce to us things as these. So she's got a really good frame of mind going on. She's like, it would make no sense if my God just made me these two promises, and just because I saw an angel of the Lord, now I'm going to die before... That's not who my God is. He made a promise. And so she talks him off the ledge, and I can imagine that he's like, okay, honey, you're right. That makes a lot of sense. So that's a great little phrase to have in your vocabulary as a husband okay honey you're right makes a lot of sense um verse 24 and the woman bore a son and so this is it's coming to fruition now 
and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. And so now we're, we're one out of two. God's promise was that you're going to have a child, and he fulfilled it. So now we got to get, now we got to get past the whole, how's he going to use Samson to defeat the Philistines? Alright, that was the good part. We got God's faithfulness, we got our faith, his parents rocked it out, they, they displayed such great faith, and now we enter into like, basically the rest of Samson's life is this big old bucket of folly. I mean, really, that's, that's the life of Samson. And we're gonna, we're gonna look at some of that. Uh, if you'll, you'll pick up verse one of chapter 14, and I'll summarize, uh, quite a bit of this just for time's sake. Uh, but the first four verses of chapter 14. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Samson, come on, man. Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all your people that you must go to take a wife from? The uncircumcised Philistines. But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she's right in my eyes. Y'all ever seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Veruca Salt, is that her name? Our daughter was, she had to do something at school this year, and she was, and that's kind of what I pictured, like, she, this girl was like, I want it, and I want it now! And, and, and that's, that's really what we hear Samson saying, is like, hey, she looks good, get her for me. He's not, he's not really asking questions, and, and, you know, I don't know how old he is here, but, but what we do see, you know, we're gonna see mostly, the folly of him. But think about these parents. These parents that we were just bragging on that were displaying such great faith because God's faithful to his promises. For some reason, they've lost a little sight of what this promise was because what was the second promise? What was the second thing that God, the angel of the Lord, told Manoah's wife? I'm going to use Samson to start defeating the Philistines. My thought would be, probably not a good idea to marry one of them. That doesn't seem like a great start, right? They didn't They didn't stand their ground. Once again, if you're a parent, you understand. Listen, if we let, if we let our kids do everything that they want to do, sometimes my girls would be wearing stuff that, you know, that I got to say, back to the room. I mean, my girls are, or 10 and 6, but that's a, you know, if you always let your kids do what they demand needs to be done, I'm not sure that it, the trajectory of their life is going to match up with the will of God and the promises he has for them. So we see that. His parents ended up, for whatever reason, kind of caving. His, his, he was fixed on this desire. He was fixed on her beauty. I'm pretty sure he wasn't like, listen, we've this Philistine girl and I, you know, we just got so much in common. We've had a lot of long talks and gosh, you know, I just, I feel like her heart is, is, is for the same guy. You know, he's just like, I see her from a distance and she looks good. That's who I want. I mean, I, I would say that's how he picked this, this young lady. Um, so we see that 
that they now start down this journey of, okay, let's go. Let's go see if we can arrange something. Let me go talk to her parents. Let's walk down there. And so they, they ended up walking down. I think this town's about four miles away approximately from where they were, from where they lived. They, they journeyed down. At some point on this journey, they're walking together. And Samson, because he, he seems to be a little bratty, uh, decides he wants to veer off. He's going to walk through the orchard. Okay, what's one of the Nazarite vows? I'm not going to drink strong drink or eat anything of the vine. You're an alcoholic. Would you walk through the bar? For whatever reason, Samson decides, I'm going to walk through the orchard. He's walking through the orchard, and a lion decides to, to attack him. Once again, that's one of those debates. Did God send the lion to try to stop him from these Nazarite vows that he's taken? I don't know. But what we know is we get to see firsthand the first supernatural feat of Samson's strength. So this lion, this lion tries to attack him, and Samson kills him with his bare hands. Just mauls him. I mean, I would have loved to have been a bystander to like, like, I mean, we've never seen that on National Geographic, right? Like, that would be, that would be made for TV type of stuff. But he ends up killing the lion. And more than likely, he he ends up violating this Nazarite vow. And we're going to see that he does this kind of all throughout his life. Uh, you know, more than likely, he is he is not upholding his obedience to what God's calling him to. So they end up making it to Timnah. They end up kind of meeting up with the family, and they decide, we're going to throw a feast. Another reason I would say that he violated the Nazarite vow. Feast can be translated drinking party. I mean, did he? does it say that he drank? No. If you throw a drinking party and you're the honored guest, you're probably going to drink. So he ends up making it to the feast, and... And it would make sense to me why he wants to do a little riddle. So he decides to pose uh, a riddle to these uh, wedding guests. At, because they, they actually matched up with him. They, they provided 30 wedding guests. Samson didn't bring his own crew like I do. Uh, but, but they matched up. They brought these wedding guests. And Samson says, oh, I got one for you. And he tells them a riddle. And so he says, if you guys can solve the riddle, then... I will give you 30 pairs of clothes. If you can't solve the riddle, and they've got seven days to do this, if you can't solve the riddle, then then I, then I you owe me 30 pairs of clothes. And, and you know, it was dressing nicely was, uh, especially in that setting, was to be, you know, that, that was to be honored. And, and that was probably an important thing to them. And it wasn't just like, let's run to, uh, let's run to bargain hunt and grab something. I mean, this, this would have been a big, um, a big hit to either side, whoever lost. And so he poses this riddle, and, and as the story goes, and we won't we won't read much about that story just for the sake of time. But as the story goes, they kept pressing this soon-to-be wife. Hey, let us know. Let us know what the riddle is. Find out from Samson what the riddle is. Find. Hey, you're the closest to him. Find out what the what the uh, 
the answer to this riddle is. And she, she tried and she tried and he stood his ground as much as he could in his own strength. She, he stood his ground and then finally, after enough crying and begging, it actually says that she cried for seven days. He finally said, okay, here's the answer. And what did she do? She didn't have any loyalty to him. Now, what I didn't mention, and I'm not going to make her the scapegoat in in this, because the implication to her was they didn't just say, hey, find out. They said, if you don't find this out, we're going to burn you and your dad. So so there was there was a little skin in the game for her to find out. She was in a tight spot. She ended up turning on him. She found out. She went back to him. She said, here's the answer to the riddle. And, and his riddle was asking about he, he had found some honey in this dead lion. Uh, that he had that he had killed and he and and he wanted the answer to that and he thought he was clever and and so he he realized how they tricked him that they had gone worked through her and in verse 18 he actually says um, this is on the don't do list verse 18 the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down this is solving the riddle what is sweeter than honey what is stronger than a lion he said to them if you had not plowed with my heifer you would not have found out my riddle. All right, guys. Don't use that one. Don't use that one. Basically, that was another way of saying you cheated. Heifers, heifers didn't plow. But he was referring to his soon-to-be wife. So, you cheated. Just tuck that away. It's not part of the main point. Uh, but it'll take you a long way in life. So he goes to a nearby town. He says, well, i got to settle my debt. You know, I'm mad. He's angry. He's raging. Goes to a nearby town, and we see another supernatural feat. He, he takes down 30 men, and he takes their clothes to settle his debt. Goes back to Timna and says, here's your clothes. He's so angry because on the, on the, on the final day of this feast, they're supposed to consummate their marriage. Um, so you know what that means. They're supposed to consummate the marriage. He's so mad. He's like, I can't even do it. I'm going to my dad's house. He goes back to his dad's house. He's angry about it. Pick up in chapter 15. He finally, he must have slept on it. He realizes, eh, that probably wasn't the right thing to do. I acted in, you know, kind of foolish there. I shouldn't have gone back to my dad's house. But the very end of 14, last verse, says Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. And we pick up in chapter 15. He comes back to reconcile. He says, hey, I'm here. He brings, a, I think he brings another goat. Yeah, he brings another goat. That's like the golden ticket. Anytime you want something, you just bring a goat. Uh, but he brings a goat and he's like, I'm here. I'm here to consummate a marriage. And her dad is, her dad's like, you can't have her. I gave her away. I didn't know if you were coming back. I tell you what, she's got a younger sister. She's even prettier. You want, and that doesn't work with Samson. So he, he learns that this girl, this soon-to-be wife that he thought he was going to marry, um, is not his anymore. We see another supernatural feat. Now he's mad again, right? He takes 300 foxes or jackals, depending on what you look I mean, Whatever, if you capture 300 of anything, you're pretty good, right? Something's going on that you can do that. 
takes 300 foxes and he ties them together. He puts a torch between their tails and he sends them off into the Philistine crops in the orchards and he burns them up. Interestingly, think about this. Is he acting in obedience? Is he doing anything that just seems like, man, this dude's a man of God? I would say not necessarily. He's not doing anything that would just make you think like, wow, this guy, this is a winner right here. But God is still working through his folly. God's still working out this promise that he's going to help start to defeat the Philistines. So he he takes down their crops. And now, now we get back in this banter. It's like an eye, like this is totally an eye for an eye. You do something to me, I'm going to do something worse to you. You do something to me, and they go back and forth, and and the Philistines retaliate. And, and the same threat that had been made to this wife-to-be, that, hey, if you don't find out the answer to this riddle, we're going to set you and your dad on fire. This same threat comes true, because they that's, that's how they retaliate. He sets their crops on fire, they come back and they say, that's it, we're burning, we're burning the, and so they burn them up. He retaliates. By viciously attacking them. Doesn't give us a whole lot of details. But I would say he probably killed some people. And he hurt a lot of other people extremely badly. Philistines retaliate. By coming to capture him. So he knows like after he had. Viciously beat a lot of these folks up. "Eh, They're going to come for me. So he goes and he kind of hides away. And they come back. And they confront a lot of the Israelites. And say hey. We're here to get Samson. Instead Instead of standing their ground. Many of us have folly in this story. Instead of standing their ground and say, you know what? We're the people of God. And we're not going to do we're not just going to lead you to it. They were scared for their lives. Maybe they were this this was a little bit differently than than what we would think about slavery uh, or even maybe a little different than when they were in Egypt like it was it seemed to be pretty peaceful. And so they could live a life uh, that was fairly normal, yet still be under the control of the Philistines. And so I, maybe they were thinking, you know what? Let's not rock the boat here. You know, only way, the only thing that could happen is this is going to get worse for us. So they led them, they led them to Samson, and, and Samson had no desire whatsoever to hurt his own people. He let them bind him up. He said, okay, you know, I'm not, they, they made an agreement. We're not, we're not going to hurt you. We're just going to take you to the Philistines. He said, okay, that's fine. I'm not going to hurt you. Well, he ended up breaking the rope and he, and he killed a thousand men. This is one of those stories that you probably know of. He killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Like that's moot. That, like that's awesome. That's, I mean, it'd be rated R, right? So none of us would watch it, right? If it's for the glory of God, right? Um, He kills a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. And then right after he does that, he's obviously spent. I mean, he just fought, fought off a thousand men, killed them, and he displays a little faith. So now we're, we're, we've had a lot of folly. Now we're going to put a little faith back in God. Or maybe we're just going to try to meet my own needs. He says, God, I'm so thirsty. So thirsty. And what does God do? God doesn't say, 
if you if you would have done this, this, and this, you've already messed up this Nazarite vow. I'm not I'm not ever going to do it. God splits a rock open and provides water. He showed some faith, and God was faithful. Okay? So now, we've made it through some of that some of that folly. We're back to chapter 16. This is like the Sunday school Samson. Samson and Delilah. This is what we know Samson for. But before we even get to Delilah, he's still kind of hung up on the female thing. He, he crosses paths with another female before he even before he even sees Delilah. So he goes down uh, to to a town of Gaza and he ends up seeing a prostitute. And, and he went, he spent the night with that prostitute. And so the people know that he's there and they're like, this is our chance. We're going to get him. They decide, let's encamp around this house. And he he bails about midnight. He gets out of there. And he doesn't just like, he doesn't just tiptoe out because this is Samson. That's not how Samson rolls. Samson not only leaves, but he rips off the gates of the city on his way out. That's the power of God. The power of God was all over Samson's life. And so, after that, he ended up becoming involved with Delilah. And this, this ends up being very similar. So he's already had some life experience with this soon-to-be wife from a few chapters ago that bribed or that, that kind of lured him into giving an answer. And he, he eventually succumbed. Didn't work out well for anybody. She died eventually. You know, he ended up having to getting a lot of retaliation back and forth with the Philistines. And so the same thing happens with Delilah. They tell her, hey, and the difference is they didn't threaten Delilah's life. They didn't say, we're going to kill you and your dad. They actually, very similar to Judas, they tempted her with money. They said, hey, if you can get this out of him, there's a payoff waiting for you. Payoff waiting for you at the end. And after some failed attempts on the fourth try, she discovers because he kept telling her, "Well, if you if you tie me up with the uh, intestines of a of an animal, that'll work. If you use new rope, that'll work. If you if you stake my hair, cross braid it to the ground, you know that'll work." And every single time, the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he broke him. And then he eventually told her, "Well, the vehicle to my strength is actually my hair." He caved. And so what'd she do? She had money waiting on her, right? She had money at the at the end of the rainbow, a pot at the end of the rainbow, and so she goes back and tells them, and they, they devise this plan um, that they're going to shave his head. He has no power. They end up capturing him. And we're going to pick up in verse 23 of chapter 16. So they've captured him. They gouged his eyes out. Samson can't see. And they're using him for forced labor. I would say, I'd say he'd be a pretty effective worker, right? Especially if he if he had the strength that he used to have, which his hair was beginning to grow back, and we'll 
we'll see that in just a minute. But they were getting as much out of him as possible. But outside of just production, they wanted to kind of lord this over him. They they were at this festival uh, for their god, the god of Dagon. And so somebody brings up, and we'll read that. It says, now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And it seems like somebody just had a thought, like, they said, our God's given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand. The ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson, that he may entertain us. So not only are they trying to get the most out of him, now they just want to humiliate him. They want to get some entertainment out of this victory. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars, and Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me fill the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. So the wheels are already, you can see the wheels are spinning for Samson. He's starting, he's starting to kind of think, you know what? Maybe, maybe there's a way here. Maybe there's a, a way that, that God can still use me or that I can you know get revenge or, or get um, kill some more people but he starts talking to this guy and it says now the house was full of men and women all the lords of the Philistines were there and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained then Samson called to the Lord and said oh Lord God please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. Oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Okay, so maybe his motive wasn't completely pure. He still had some revenge, you, you dirty dogs, you plucked my eyes out. But let's not discount that he's putting, he's displaying some faith in, in the true God. He says, God, please, hear me on this one. Would you show up? Would you listen to me? And it says, And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed in his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. In that one event, even though this was a bad dude already, he'd killed a lot of people. In that one event, he killed more people, more of the Philistines than he had his entire life. And then his brothers and his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him. And it goes on to tell where they buried him. Once again, Samson said in verse 30, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon them, and the people were in it. What do we see from the life of Samson? Because I think if you look at the life of Samson, you see a lot of underachievement. You see a, you see a life that started with great hope, great promise. And then you just see this back and forth, underachievement, sin, folly. 
But I think we need to look a little bit deeper and, and not just not just put ourselves in the in the seat of a judge to say, well, gosh, I'm not as bad as Samson. Maybe God can use me. I think we need to look at these three buckets one more time. And we need to draw some conclusions from what we can clearly determine that God is, is doing through the life of Samson, through the life of all these judges. And so when we look at God's faithfulness, if you've got a pen, there's a couple other things you can write down. A couple truths we want to take away. When we look at God's faithfulness, we've already talked about how it precedes our faith. God is always faithful. And we can count on it. When God says something through His Word, or when He speaks through His Word, we can count on it. And we see that displayed in the life of Samson. He was faithful to his word. He, you know, I already mentioned this. He made an initial promise to Abraham that you're going to have children and you're going to have descendants and I'm going to, I'm going to work through your lineage and your people and you're going to be called blessed. He made this promise to Samson. And we talked about the fact that Samson's folly uh, definitely didn't help matters. But God did not, at the first instant that Samson made a poor decision, say, I'm going to move on. I guess I got that one wrong. Um, win some, you lose some. I'll go try another guy. He still used the folly of Samson to fulfill his promise. So not only is he always faithful, he's faithful to his word, he's faithful to his people. Ultimately, guys, this isn't about Samson. This isn't about, not about the judges. It's not about all these Old Testament figures that we see in Hebrews 11. Ultimately, it's not even about us. This is about Jesus. And the fact that God, all through Scripture, was making these promises that He continued to fulfill and ultimately made a promise that there will eventually be one true king, one true judge, that won't falter, that won't fail, and that will will bear the weight of sin for you and me and Samson and every other judge and Israelite that screwed up. One true king that's going to take that weight and bear that weight and become the sacrifice that we can truly come back and have a relationship with this God. And so he's faithful to his people. Judges ends, and if, if we went on and read throughout the rest of Judges, that, he was the last judge they talked about. But, but there's this theme, and, and Judges actually ends, the very last verse of the book, 21-25. In those days, keyword, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And guys, that's still a lot of people's story. There is no king, and everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And so God's faithful to his people to extend an invitation that that doesn't have to be our life. It does not have to be our life that we get to choose what we do because it never ends well. It ends in despair. It ends in destruction. Ultimately, it ends in death 
and it ends in eternity apart from God. And so his promise to us is that he's provided a king through Jesus and that he's going to he's already accomplished that through the work of Jesus on the cross. What we see in regard to his faithfulness is that he will accomplish his will either with us or in spite of us. Our folly will not detour his plan. Now there's some implications that come into that and we'll talk about those in just a second. I tell you what, I'm wrapping up. If you want to come up and play, I'm going to I'm going to finish up in just a few minutes. Um but our faith is really an act of obedience. So we've got God's faithfulness. We've we've established that God is always faithful. He keeps his promises. So the question is, what's our response? Do we trust Him? Do we trust Him in whatever circumstance in our life that we're dealing with? And and that may just be the fact that are we going to allow Him to be our King? To be our Lord? Our faith is an act of obedience to the faithfulness of God. And so if we think about what would he, what did we say at the very beginning? God's faithfulness starts this whole thing. And I think Marty mentioned that already when he was praying. The only way that we can have faith in God through Jesus is because he was first faithful to us. God's faithfulness precedes our faith, but our faith is an act of obedience. See, we don't, we don't get to practice, we, we don't, I was talking about this with my wife this morning. I think sometimes we mix up what true faith is, or obedience, and works. Like, we don't, we don't get to just put faith in God when we want to because we think that's gonna earn us something or get us somewhere. Or because we've done so much that we feel like Maybe we can identify so much with Samson that like, how could you love me, God? Look at me. Look at me. I'm, I mess up everything I touch. Every time I get mad, I kill people. Hope that's not your story. <laughs> if it is, talk to Marty. <clears throat> There's a big difference between working for righteousness and working for approval from God and working to earn God's salvation and simply just obeying that who God says He is, is true. That God is always faithful, and that He has orchestrated this entire story that we fit into to send a King that we can now put our trust in, and His name's Jesus. We can, we can confess our wrong and our sin, and we can identify that, you know what, we are bad. We screw up all the time. But when Jesus took my place on the cross, all that bad and all that screw up was poured out on Him. And so now this God that is so faithful to us doesn't see me as bad and messed up. He sees me through the lens of Jesus Christ because Jesus has paid for my sins. 
And so now he sees me as a child. That's what faith acting in obedience looks like. In regard to his faithfulness, I would just ask us this morning, are you trusting that God is faithful? You know, listen guys, we're in church, right? Easy answers, yeah man, I know that. But really, in our day-to-day lives, when you wake up tomorrow morning and Monday hits you in the face, are you trusting? Maybe you don't like your job. Maybe you hate this season of life that, that you're in right now. But are you trusting that God's faithfulness is always true? That God's always faithful? That, that never changes? say as a response to the faithfulness of God, have you placed your faith in Jesus? I'd be doing a disservice to you guys to come up here and to preach and to open God's word and not give you the opportunity to identify that you've never placed your faith in Jesus because you can place your faith in anything else and it's not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to ultimately establish a relationship with this faithful God. The only option is to turn from our folly to our Savior. And so, once again, we see Samson. Samson did a lot that was just messed up. I believe strongly that Samson's life, the trajectory of Samson's life, could have gone a bunch of different directions. And I've heard it compared to, you know... The end destination was the same, right? And let's not get away from that. Samson was born. That was promise number one to his mom. What was the second promise? That he was going to use him to help start delivering the Philistines. What did God do? God used the life of Samson to help start delivering the Israelites from the Philistines. And a couple great men of God kind of finished that off. But I think we see in that prayer, even though maybe there was still some some anger and revenge and folly mixed up, there was an identification that God, I can't, I don't have strength. I If I'm going to pull these pillars down, the only way it's going to happen is because of your strength and your spirit within me. So do we need to turn from our folly and commit to following Jesus? Maybe you say, Preston, I've, I've got a relationship with Jesus. That's not the issue. I'm just struggling. I'm just struggling because it seems like what Jesus wants for my life is not what my plan is. It seems like every time I try to make a decision, it blows up in my face. So yeah, I know Jesus. And I've given my life to Him. I've given my heart to Him. But I'm ready to see something good happen. I would challenge us, guys. I think think one of the temptations to 
to preaching the Word of God is to only pick the encouraging parts. Right? Everybody loves to hear about the love of God. There's an act of obedience that He calls us to. And so I would challenge us that maybe you're not seeing a lot of fruit from this whole walking with Jesus thing and you feel like you feel like if it, you had it your way your life would look different I'm just going to tell you we don't get that choice but the joy of walking with our Father far outweighs what we think we've missed because we're not getting our way and so I'm going to ask us to turn from our selfish desires. Maybe like Samson, we've got you've got some anger, you've got some lust, you're arrogant. I know because we all are in relationships, I think one of the things we can identify in the life of Samson, identify clearly with, is this vengeance, this personal revenge, this you wronged me, so I need to get mine. You know, I need to, I need to, feel good about getting you back. We don't get that choice, guys. Here's what I want to do. I want to just I want to pray for us. I'm going to I'm going to ask a couple of our Marty and a couple of our deacons if you want to just go to the back. I just I just want to extend the invitation that that if you identify with with any of of what's been declared today, that God is faithful. He's always faithful. And His faithfulness comes way before our faith. It goes way above our folly. If you identify with any of that, you're struggling with, with maybe something in your life that you just want somebody to pray with you about. And after I pray, then we'll, we'll sing a song. And I would invite you to just walk back there and let those guys talk with you and minister to you. One of my pet peeves with the local church is when we just, in 21st century America, we just assume that it's our privilege to gather together. And, and it becomes just something we do every Sunday morning. Every time we get to gather together, it is, it is the grace of God. We've got brothers and sisters in, in other parts of the world that would give nothing more than to have this moment. That are ripping pages out, that maybe have a few pages of scripture, that are hanging on to what little truth of God they know. And so, so I don't want us to take for granted this opportunity. After I leave here and I'm doing my thing at my church, I, I don't want you to ever, as you gather to worship, take for granted the opportunity that we have every week that we get to worship and we get to be challenged and then we get to respond. And that's not, I'm not trying to manipulate you into responding today, but do not take that lightly, guys. And then finally, if you need to trust Jesus as your king, and you you know 
You know that you've played that game. You've done all those works. You've been kind of going through the motions, but you've never turned from your own selfish desires and your own sin. And you've never turned toward Jesus and said, I'm done with me. I'm done with my way. Jesus, I'm yours. If today's the day that that you would do that, then I invite you to do so. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that you're always faithful. We thank you that your faithfulness then dictates our choice to to choose you, our, our faith in you, God, that we can't muster up faith apart from your love for us, your faithfulness to us, God. And then on the flip side, our, our folly and our mistakes don't discount what your plans are. Lord, we thank you that you accomplish your will either through us or in spite of us, but that you accomplish your will. And so, Lord, today I pray for every heart that is in this room that you would speak and that we would respond. Lord, I pray that you would encourage. I pray that you would convict. I pray, God, that you would challenge us. I pray, God, that we would not be comfortable with the status quo, that you would give us a fresh walk with you for those that are maybe in a season where everything feels dry. Lord, I pray that you would bring your your presence and your anointing. Lord, I ask that you would use this church for your glory, that you would send them out, that they would that they would tell of the good news of the changed lives that, that you have, have done within them, Lord, that, that you've changed their hearts, that you've changed their lives, and they can't keep it to themselves. Lord, I pray for every leader that's represented in this church, that you would empower them, that you would uh, that you would just encourage them. Lord, most of all, we thank you that you've sent a king. And then we don't have to look to, to another earthly failure of a king or a judge that you've sent the perfect king and his name's Jesus and he, he took our sin and he offers salvation. And so, Lord, I pray that, that you would have your way in this time, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You could stand and sing.